All right, Lorraine Bracco has no problem calling herself one tough broad. She's a Academy Award and Emmy-nominated actress. She's best known for her role as psychiatrist Dr. Jennifer Melfi, who treated New Jersey Mafia heavyweight Tony Soprano on The Sopranos, and as Karen Hill in the Martin Scorsese film Goodfellas. And she also appeared for seven seasons on TNT's blockbuster hit series Rizzolian Isles. And The Sopranos, you know, it debuted 25 years ago, and to celebrate this award-winning series, Lorraine Bracco is with us. You are one tough broad. You are. Oh, well, yeah. You know, it's funny. The other day we were talking about the Me Too movement and all of that. And somebody asked me, you know, Lorraine, did anybody, you know, ever try, uh-huh. you know, to to do something bad and wrong? And I said, yeah. I said, but they're still on the floor. <laughs> <laughs> I like that. Yeah. Which speaks, so, yeah, which speaks to your story. We have a good story. laugh. <laughs> yeah, I love that. I love that. I love that. Well, you're a Brooklyn girl. I mean, you were born and raised in Brooklyn, I right? Am. Yeah. I am. Yeah. And like my kids know, I'm always ready for a rumble. <laughs> That's great. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, if I ran into you in an alley, I'm pretty sure you could kick my ass. I'd, I'd be, I'd be scared to death. Well, let's put it this way. I don't know if I could, you know, beat you up, but I would definitely put up a fight. (laughs) (laughs) I love that. I love that. I love that. You know, I was looking like, you know, deep into your past, like you, you weren't really acting when you were younger. You were a model. You moved to France in 50 years ago, by the way, this year, 1974, you moved to France and you became a model. Oh, my God. 50 years ago. Wow. Yeah. Well, I loved every second of it. It was a great time. So what brought you to France? Like what what took you out there? You know, Wilhelmina Model Agency. Mm, Okay. They, They asked me to go. And, you know, I guess the most important thing when you're starting out is to have a uh, tear sheets, pictures mm-hmm. of yourself, you know, in your your lookbook. And in France and Italy, uh, those were great places to go and do that. That's cool. That's so, cool. Mm-hmm. And you did yeah, it. Yeah, it was great. Yeah, it was you, a great experience. For a decade. And then you then you were on the radio. You were you were a disc jockey, Radio Luxembourg. Yes, but only for a summer. Okay. Hey, that's cool, <laughs> I, though. I filled in I filled in for everybody who was on vacation. I love but that. But because I could speak French and I kind of knew American culture and uh, what was going on uh, musically in the States, uh, it ended up being a lot of fun. That's cool. Yeah, that's cool. And I know you were getting some roles like playing an American in some yeah. some French films, because you said you spoke French, but someone to watch over me. I think Ridley Scott. That was the first film I think I ever saw you, and it was a great, great movie. Yeah, thank you. I loved it, and Ridley was a most magnificent human being, and to be one of like a really big important director one of my first big important directors. He he put that bar very very high. And that helped you. I think, you know, sometimes those first jobs really kind of guides you through your career, right? It's that experience that you have with somebody that really moves you into a different direction. I agree. It's very important. You know, I think it's it, And it, by the way, I think it's for every industry. Yeah. You know, your first boss, if he's <laughs> considerate and kind and wants you to teach and wants you to succeed is a big difference than somebody who is a, a, a 
F an asshole. <laughs> it's true. It's true. It's very true. It does set expectations differently uh, for, yes. when you, for when you get your next job. It does. Absolutely does. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. And then Yes, met- I was very lucky. I've been very lucky career-wise. Well, then you met Martin Scorsese socially. And I know I've, I've heard you talk about this, that he asked you to read for a, a, a different movie, but you never really read for Goodfellas, uh, but he gave you a script to read. And, and De Niro, who you knew, gave you the book Wise Guys to read. But Marty invited you to his apartment and Ray Liotta was there. Share that story. So, I mean, it's it's it, it's a very um, lucky and simple story. Um, I think a couple of things, you know, my background is my parents moved from Brooklyn to Long Island and I was brought up in a Jewish neighborhood. Mm-hmm. And Karen Hill, of course, was Jewish. Right, right, yeah. So um, I think that was a little helpful. (laughs) Sure. And um, I think basically he just wanted to get a sense of what Ray and I looked like together. Isn't that amazing? And how we felt together. And so we were up there for a little while. And, you know, that was it. That was the audition. But that's a master. Yeah, right. You know, a director, and I've learned this, if a director casts his movie well, most of his work is done. (laughs) That's very true. That's very true. I love that it was just a matter of seeing you two interact with each other and seeing you two, your faces next to each other. And is it, are you believable as a couple? Yeah. And that was it. Yeah. Yeah. No, I mean, and you know, again, I had known Marty and I spent... I had dinners with him and whatever, you know, things like that. So he kind of knew me, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. It's, uh, I mean, I can't say we were friend friends, but he knew me. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. You know, I spoke to uh, the late Ray Liotta some years ago, and I remember telling him, you know, that I was watching it with my, my son who was in his teens, you know, Goodfellas for the first time. And what he was most curious about is if, my son found it interesting and did it hold up that movie will hold up forever it's it's a, i know it's crazy you know, right? right yeah i mean it, because it's a period piece so to speak and so it's always going to live on but what a spec you know nominated for best picture you nominated for an oscar first big role that must have been surreal for you oh my god i i i still can't believe it <laughs> <laughs> really <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. You know, look, I went to work every day with the boys and every day I said to myself, you better bring your A game, Bronco. (laughs) And uh, because uh, heavyweights, it was not uh, uh, we were not like all unknown kids starting out. It was uh, it was a big thing. If if that movie ever pops up, you're turning channels, but like as an actress and, and being in the, you watch it, you stop and you just kind of watch it for a little bit. I'll watch, I'll watch a couple of minutes, but yeah. then I'll go on. Gotcha. 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 <laughs> um, fast forward to the Sopranos. You, you did read for the Sopranos, but David Chase, the crew thought, you know, was the typecast you really as a mob wife again. You, you thought differently for that. Yeah. I, you know, who wants to play one kind of character? 
yeah. character their whole life. You know, that's no fun. But when I read the script and I read Melfi, Mm-hmm. That really piqued my interest. I said, wow, what a different way to enter this mob character's life. Yeah. I also thought it was very intimate. Yeah. Um, and a relationship that we've not really ever seen or explored. No, and and I know you also have felt about, you know, Italian women in film were not always portrayed at a higher level, and you wanted to bring uh, this character, this educated Italian professional woman, you know, to the table. Right, and I said to David, you know, two things for me. You know, one, I don't think Tony would be, would see someone who's not of his culture. Yeah, true. Um, and, uh, and... When have you ever seen an, an Italian educated woman uh, on screen? It's true. You never see that. No. And that's a shame because there are plenty of us. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And I know when you approached that role, you know, you you said you had some good therapists in your life. And that's kind of who you kind of modeled that after. A little bit, right? Right. I I saw a woman for a long time, and I saw a man for a long time. So I always say I took the yin and the yang out of them. <laughs> I like that. <laughs> I like that. You know, um, uh, you you were curious when you were doing the role of how the character of Tony would pay you. Does he have insurance? Yes. Is because I don't think right. I don't think he wanted to put that through the insurance that he was seeing a psychiatrist. So what did Chase ever tell you? Like how does that work? I don't know, but he really when I asked him, he just looked at me like, <laughs> "Wow," because I, you know, like almost like you know his mind was racing yeah. of how that you know was going to happen. But I'm glad I asked him about yeah. it. I thought it was a, an important. Uh, uh, element For to, sure. uh, to Tony's uh, Tony's life. That's right. I knew he threw money at you once, so I thought yeah, maybe maybe cash was involved. A, yeah. <laughs> it was like it was funny. I thought it was really funny. Yeah. Like I was like all the women in his life, you know. Yeah. That he had to give money to. Yeah, right. That's very true. It was, I thought it was interesting. Well, your scenes with with James Gandolfini really brought the show to the center. So, it you know, it's, it was like that moment in the show where, okay, it's away from the crime, the murders, the chaos, the family life. It's where the character of Tony was more honest with himself about his own life and that the navigation that you gave him. But it kind of like it, it, it stopped the show for a minute and slowed it down to have a conversation. I just I just love that part of the show. I also think, too, you got to see Tony. And I mean, look, there are people who skip over the Melfi scenes. Are they fast forward them? Really? <laughs> I think so. Okay. But um, the truth of the matter is, is that's where you really see who he is. True. You see him as a father, yeah. as a friend, as a enemy, as a a, a, a husband. Uh, a son, you know, you, you see a lot about Tony in these scenes. And I think that's why um, people loved him. Well, and you, and plus it's all about characters, you know, talking about you and Ray Liotta and making sure you were compatible together. I, you hit it off with Jim right away. I mean, you had a good relationship with him as, as, as actors. Well, I love this story about Jim. I went to go see Jim in, 
a streetcar named Desire with Alec Baldwin and Jessica Lang. Mm-hmm. And um, during intermission, I remember looking at the playbill and say, who is this guy playing? I don't remember what character. I can't remember mm-hmm. now. Mm-hmm. And I remember looking at the playbill, trying to find, and I see James Gandolfini. Mm-hmm. I was like, this is, that's a good actor. <laughs> wow. And this is years wow. before Sopranos. So you had some respect for him as an actor even going in. Yeah, yeah. I did. Now, I know when you shot scenes, you know, typically, you know, you shoot from different camera angles and so forth. But the scenes you shot with him, typically done in a day, they shot his side first and then they would shoot yours. And it was kind of hard to get through those lines because he messed with you. Oh, he he loved nothing more than to mess with me. Any anywhere, anyhow, okay. <laughs> it didn't even matter if it was just on the set. But you know, he had so much dialogue. He was the precursor of the scene. He had the story to tell. Um and he was always mad at me. He's like, Who who died and gave you this job? <laughs> <laughs> and I you know, I was left. But yeah, he used to dance, he used to strip, he used to enjoy himself when he was done. And I would be like an idiot saying, I you know, if you don't stop like a kid, like like if you don't stop this. <laughs> yeah. That's awesome. <laughs> That's awesome. But again, I know he was yeah i gave you good it was good camaraderie it was good it was a good uh oh god yeah i adored him love it love it i loved him we are talking to the iconic lorraine brocco and there's more when we come back on 720 wgn all right we're talking to lorraine brocco we're talking sopranos at 25 i was talking to vincent Curatola about the fact that there were some cast members that really never crossed paths on the show. But there was one, I believe there was just one, that you, uh, your character, and Tony and his crew were in the same scene in a restaurant, albeit so briefly. In a restaurant in Jersey, yes. Yeah, yeah. but that was that, that that happened, though. I mean, you, you might have been friends on the set and, you know, and, and stayed in touch with everybody, but because of the role, you just, you weren't in scenes with some of these people. Well, I was, I mean, really 99.8% of my time Jim. was always just with Jim. Yeah, yeah. right, yeah, yeah. I'd, I mean, uh, Carmela came a couple times to therapy. Right. And, of course, Peter Bogdanovich. Yeah, how great. Did you have a favorite episode that that your character was significantly featured in or a favorite episode of the series in general that you watched and said, God, this is good? I always loved uh, Steve Buscemi directing. I tell them it it's when barons? they're in the forest. Pine Barrens. Pine Barrens. <laughs> to me, that is a great episode. Yeah, for sure. I loved it. I couldn't believe it. Watching the two two of them, I thought it was magnificent. Brilliant. Yeah, took it off the off script a little bit based on what was happening in the rest of the series. Um, at the Emmys, just a couple of weeks ago, you walked back into that office again with Michael Imperioli by your side. It was pretty cool. You know, I'll tell you, it was, it, look, I loved that they honored the show that made me so happy and and uh, proud. And 
I can't believe it was 25 years, but when Michael and I went to do rehearsal and we were standing behind the, the door and they played them, them, the music. Yeah. And Michael and I looked at each other and we kind of choked up. Yeah. Yeah. I bet. We couldn't believe it. I bet. And I said to him, Oh God, please let's hope we get through this tomorrow. It was moving for us. Yeah. Yeah. And it was a little tribute to James Gandolfini too. So that adds to that, of course. Totally. Yeah. I had watched your HGTV series, My Big Italian Adventure, where you renovated an Italian villa that you bought for a dollar a few years back. What a bold adventure that must have been. Or still is that still going on? Well, you know, it still needs a little bit of work. (laughs) Yeah. um, But it's livable, which is fantastic. Uh, yeah, no, it's great. I love it. I get to go. Uh, I, I like to go during olive picking season. Oh, okay. And I like to go in the spring. Uh, yeah, it's great. I love it. I, I'm, I feel I feel incredibly blessed to be able to have something so, uh, I, I, I want to say unusual, remote, uh, yeah, I yeah. love Italian food. I love the people in the village. It's always thrilling to go back. I was going to say, it must bring you just such happiness knowing it's there. It's there for you. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. I can't believe it. <laughs> yeah, I love it. I love it. Lorraine Bracco, one tough broad. What a great <laughs> what a great conversation. I'm, I'm so grateful uh, that I spent time talking about The Sopranos and Goodfellas and, and your amazing career. And uh, I just love watching you on the big screen and the small screen. You're really amazing, Lorraine. Oh, you're sweet. Thank you. You're adorable. That was fun. Yeah. What, what do you got coming up? Any new projects? Anything you're working on? Anything you're thinking about? I got a movie coming out with Vince Vaughn. I got a movie coming out with Mark Wahlberg. Love it. Yeah. Love it. The iconic Lorraine Bracco. The celebration of The Sopranos at 25 continues after the top stories from the Northwestern Medicine Newsroom. All right, Vincent Curatola is best known for his role as John Sacramone on The Sopranos. Vince began his career as a musician playing bass guitar in a band that performed at local clubs and bars and on the big stage with the band Chicago and even Chuck Berry and Little Richard. Vince's most notable <laughs> film roles, I know it's pretty cool, his most notable film roles includes parts in Killing Them Softly, The Good Shepherd, The Last Request, and he's made Endless TV appearances on TV shows like Law and Order, Blue Bloods, mm-hmm. The Good Wife, Monk, and The Blacklist. And Vincent's breakthrough role came in 1999 when he was cast as Johnny Sack on The Soprano and appeared in all six seasons and joins us to celebrate The Sopranos. Vincent, thank you so much for joining us. Yeah, it's my pleasure, Dave. It really is. Um, I'm, I'm so excited the fact that, you know, we, we've lasted so long and we've become, I think, even a bigger thing now than we were originally. So. It, it blows my mind. I mean, honestly, uh-huh. that it's been 25 years. Oh, yeah. Went, oh, as you know, went on in January of 99 and came off in 07. Um, but you know something, Dave? This is, uh, I, we have, I have young kids run up to me when I say kids 20 years old. Mm-hmm. And they say, oh, my God, I love you. And I say, when did you see the show? You were a child. No, no, no. We're, we're, we're watching it. Everybody's watching it now. Yeah, yeah. And, and I've got to tell you something. I'm not trying to do a plug, okay? But this, this fabulous invention called Cameo, Yeah. people reach out to me daily at, from all over the globe, and I'm able to personalize the greeting. Hey, buddy. Hey, Bill. Hey, Sandra, whatever you are. 
It's a fabulous system, and I love the opportunity to do it. What is the most common phrase they ask you to say on Cameo? Speak, speak and what is this, the F in UN now? <laughs> of course. Okay, I mean, it's, of course. it's and all kinds, I mean, you know, I have done baby reveals, gender reveals. Oh, my God, really? I have asked. I have asked several people to be best the best man at so and so's wedding. Would you please do it for? Yeah, I love that. It's fabulous. It's a great. But I'm saying the, the the thrust of this is that it's global. Uh, it wasn't. I don't. It wasn't global originally. Initially, and people could just reach out, and it's fabulous. And if it wasn't for David Chase's brilliance of putting this thing together, my God, where would we be? No no kidding. And you know what's funny? Like, you talk about people watching it now. Absolutely that the next generation. My son's watching it is now. Yeah. My daughter's watching it now. But back in okay. the day, you know, you talk about uh-huh. 1999, early 2000s, you, you know, right. we, were, we were kind of all watching the same. That was probably the last show that on yeah. a Sunday night we made right. an Italian dinner. And I'm not Italian, but exactly. we would make an Italian dinner and we would sit down and watch The Sopranos. But like to watch a show in real Real time today doesn't yeah. happen uh-huh. anymore, you know. No, it does. It doesn't happen. And I have to tell you, I'm the perfect example of a viewer. I, I I don't bother with network television, even though I'm on it quite a bit. Thank the Lord, but um, I, I can't handle. I, I see a dumbing down. Yeah, um, and I really do. I'm sorry to say that, but people are so now used to instant gratification of a blip on a cell phone or an iPad. They, they just don't, wow, what happens next episode of who? I don't care. I never watched it. I'm not going to start. So I think we've gone into that, plus the fact that the reality shows have really, they, they've really taken over. And they're, they're mindless, in my opinion. No no disrespect. Agree. What can I tell you? Agree. You know? and, and I'm looking at your background, like really in the, in the, in the back in the mid I mean, acting wasn't even part of your life. Back in the no, 70s? No, not at all. No, no, no. As a matter of fact, uh, I don't know if you picked up that piece where, the block I lived on in beautiful Englewood, New Jersey, I had a paper route, and everybody on my block my was a celebrity and a paper customer. Dizzy Gillespie, Sarah Vaughn, Tony Bennett, Jerry Vale, Leslie Gore, uh, the uh, Wilson Pickett. These were all my paper route customers, and I saw them, you know, weekly at least. But and you... I thought I'd go into music. I wound up, yeah. you know, in acting. Yeah. yeah. Well, music mm-hmm. is in your blood, of course, but like in the 70s, I mean... Yeah. You started mm-hmm. your own masonry business. You had a contracting Yes, I did. Business. Exactly right. Yeah, Northern Bergen County. My dad had a big company, a big masonry company on his own, but I wanted to be by myself, and I was. <laughs> Maybe too much so. <laughs> but um, I, I, what, what led me, what, you know, I have to thank my gracious, beautiful wife, Maureen, for saying to me, you know, you, you work hard. You love these films, especially the older films. Maybe you want to study. And I, I went in, and I studied acting with Michael Moriarty, fabulous actor. Wow. In Manhattan, and that's how I began. And that was in the early 90s. So, I mean, you appeared on the original Law and Order, and you yes, know, your yes, wife I nudged did. you a little yeah. bit. You, you were in that yeah. Gotti, the rise and fall mm-hmm. of the real-life mafia. Right. And then I made my own film called Dearly Beloved about a funeral home in Brooklyn, a comedy. I made that in 94. And I cast Tony Soprano, uh, Tony, Tony Sirico, who played Paulie Walnuts right. later right. on. Right. We were buddies from 92 on, and you know we wound up on The Sopranos together. But it's on YouTube. If you want to check it out, it's a half-hour film. It's hilarious. I love it. I yeah. love it. Yeah. And then you were on this NBC TV movie, Exiled, and when your agent said, hey, Correct. listen, yeah. go to uh-huh. Manhattan's West 72nd Street. You're going to audition for <laughs> for this role. And by the way, yeah. the role, the guy's 70, but go go do it anyway. Right. I was 45. That's right. Exactly right. And I knew Tony, uh, Tony Sirico had already shot 
a few episodes. But of course, the show had not aired yet, and I'm thinking to myself, nah, I really don't need to do this. I blew out two appointments. My agent finally named the third one. I guess that was the charm, and that was it. But, they, but Johnny Sack was only supposed to appear one episode yeah. forever. Yeah. But they built him. So. But, I mean, the story behind it, I think it's quite funny because, yeah, you're right. Mm-hmm. You, you kind of blew it off. And it wasn't. A big... I did. I, yeah, I <laughs> no. did. I did blow it off. And then I was late for the actual appointment because I really was not interested. But I, I think I was tired. I don't know what it was. It's just I just didn't feel like walking in the room. But, but you know, I thank the Lord I did. So. But you, you, when you did it, and you saw, you were watching uh, some of the other actors because you know, for every role, there yeah. are so many people auditioning. Yeah. And yeah. And, yeah. and, and right. you, while you were sitting there, you kind of did mm-hmm. figure out how you were going to play it and how you were going to audition. Actually, Dave, you're absolutely right. I went into the audition on a Thursday, and I was late. There was only one room, woman casting director in a huge room. She didn't even lift up her head. She heard me walk into the room. She said, uh, you're late. Thank you. Goodbye. I'm going home. Okay, no problem. I'm leaving. She looked up at me, Dave. She said to me, no, wait. Did they give you the pages? I said, yeah. She said, sit down. Let's read the scene together. So we did. And she said to me, I want to bring you back Monday to Silver Cup Studio, which is in Queens, not Manhattan. And I want you to meet some people. And that was my callback. But while I was in the waiting room, I was listening to guys who were in there already, like six or seven ahead of me, and they're screaming, they're hollering, and they're bobbing. And I'm saying to myself, they don't sound threatening at all. So when I went in and it was my shot, I lowered my voice to the point where David Chase and whoever was there, they, they leaned forward, you know, like E.F. Hutton's going to speak. <laughs> they had to lean forward to listen because I kept it so low. And the next day I got a call from my agent. They said, well, they want you to do this episode. And then, there we go. You know, that, that comes from good acting, but it also comes from being a fan of the movies because, you know, you don't have to yeah. command respect by yelling. No, no, absolutely not. I mean, listen, you know, if God forbid you're going to tell somebody you're going to kill them, do I have to scream? I mean, didn't <laughs> I deliver the message that I'm going to I'm going to change your life yeah. or take your life? You know, that's it, done. Yeah. You just have to talk. Open your mouth and talk. That's what I believe. And, you know, I have a wonderful, wonderful acting workshop. It's on Zoom. It's international. Mm-hmm. And I also have students in person that come in every week. And that's what I say to them. Don't act. Cut it in half, man, because you, you, you're pushing it. Don't push it. Just relax. Yeah. You'll, you'll, you'll deliver the message, and I love it. Well, and here's a series, too, that had exemplary writers and, and David Chase uh, behind well, everything. Yeah. But, and, and well, you know, yeah. there are some sets where, yeah, maybe you can throw in a line or something. This was pretty strict. No. You followed? No, we yeah. not able to change a word, not even a syllable. That is not an exaggeration. And um, you didn't try, because if you did, like, what, I'm, I'm you know... Yeah, maybe I got a suggestion that's better than that line, but that's not my, I'm a hired actor. Yeah. You know, I'm a contract player. I'll do what you tell me to do. That's it. But, but, mm-hmm. you know, David Chase really let you develop the personality and how it was delivered, mm-hmm. even though it was written. Yeah. He, right, Because right. they loved what you did with it. Well, thank you. I, you know, I have to tell you something for you to touch upon that. It's very flattering to me, but I will, and I will tell you, not in one, never, did David or anyone come up to me and say, listen, you know what? We think Johnny is this, or we think he's that. We're not too sure if he would do this. Maybe he wouldn't. They never interfered with me, and I, I bless them for that. 
Well, and it started from the beginning. You know, they you were late. You didn't. They didn't even look at your face. Looked at your face and said, "Okay, wait." Yeah. Okay, wait. Right. 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 And then and and then they delivered that line. So that maybe in the back of their head, they're like, "No, this is the guy." Yeah. Yes. Well, thank you. I. I. You know, I got to tell you something. I talk to Johnny Sack on almost a daily basis. I say, Johnny, seriously, what would you do in this situation? I'm in traffic. I want to kill the guy in front of me. I don't really mean it. I, hello out there. I don't really figure it out. Okay. And, you know, and I, I hear him say to me, Vince, calm down. You know you get better. You get quiet. Things go, go better. But uh, I love, I, loved it. I felt sorry for Johnny for a lot of reasons. I really did. But. I mean, I felt that there was an empathy there that was in between the lines of the writing. And I was, hopefully I brought it out. You absolutely did. We are talking to Vincent Curatola, John Sacramone from The Sopranos. We'll talk more Sopranos at 25 next on 720 WGN. All right, we are talking to Vincent Curatola, John Sacramone, Mm -hmm. Johnny Sack on The Sopranos. You know, Mm -hmm. The Sopranos was pitched to several networks. Fox turned it down. Yeah, I know. And you know, know, in the Thank very God. beginning, you're doing a cable yeah. show, and right. you know you're going and doing your job. You're reading your lines. You're doing your best. But when did you realize mm-hmm. the series was a big deal, like a really big I, deal? <laughs> that, that is such a wild question. Yeah, uh, it, it happened on it happened on a Monday morning. All right, not not my first episode, Ed. But by the time they got me into the second season, I was at the point I couldn't wash my car in the driveway anymore, and I love doing that. You know what I mean? People yeah. would stop, wonderful people. But you know, once in a while, it's a little hairy. Yeah. You know, you run into the house. Subsequently, yeah. we moved to a more bucolic area. But I'll tell you something: um, when you're working on The Sopranos, of course, you know people are watching it you don't know the extent of it because when you're working you're in a bubble and but you know something we spent a lot of time together certain cast members i mean we socialized like crazy we did a lot of benefits together we were on a lot of airplanes together and of course you know people it was like being i you know somebody said to me you know, you guys were like the Beatles of television. I thought it's a little Pretty extreme. Uh, yeah, I said, but you know, I kind of, I kind of get a little bit of what you just said. Yeah, but, um, I, I have to tell you, I have to tell you, and I don't mean to be morose or morbid in any way, but uh, I was on the foundation of a major medical center in Northern New Jersey, and I saw a lot of things I, I never want to see again. Um, and there were people who who said to me, you know. Uh, my son is not in good shape. His room's down the hall. You think he could run in? The kid would be yeah. like, you know, 25. He's yeah. got two days to live. Which I did a lot of that. Not not just me. Not just me. Yeah. Uh, all of us. Yeah. And that's what makes you really feel like, oh, my God, I, I got something to give. Well, and, and you guys always were close. You, you, you know, still close to everyone. But I'm sure the passing of James mm-hmm. Gandolfini was a driving force in keeping all mm-hmm. of you connected even 25 years later. You know, that's correct. That's correct. Jimmy was a remarkable guy. He he was born and raised a few miles away from me in northern New Jersey. Uh, we're very, very close to uh, his wife, Deborah, and to his sisters, Lita and uh, and Johanna. As a matter of fact, uh, they're coming to see me sing uh, up in Nyack, New York on the 10th. I'm doing my Valentine's show. I'm a I'm a singer with some musicians from the Carlisle Hotel. Look at me. I, I love that. I love it. Well, you know, it's funny. Okay, I, I'm glad you brought that up because I know the late yeah. Frank Sinatra Jr. did an episode of The Sopranos and you got to Correct. know him a little bit and he kind of right. he kind of needled he you. He nudged me. He, he did. did. He, he nudged me into this. I said, you know, Frank, 
I'm an actor. I'm not a singer. He says, yeah, but it's the same thing. You tell stories. <laughs> you're telling lyric. A lyric is a story. There's music with it. That's yeah, all. Yeah. Same thing. Yeah. Give it a shot. And thank you know. And we miss him. He, he died suddenly, too yeah. young. Yeah. And we miss him. What can I say? I host a Sinatra but, show every Sunday morning here on WGN Radio. So it's it's oh wow. It's three wow. hours of wow. Frank, and then we throw in a little a little come up, some of the other crooner, crooners too. Yeah, I mean, you know, sure, sure. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I, you know, I'll tell you something. I. Uh, uh, I did a I did a series in Chicago some years back. I guest starred with John Hurt, and oh, yeah. Uh, yeah, I did. It was called APB, mm-hmm. and uh, I remember one Friday night in December we shot inside the zoo. Oh yeah, out, it zoo. was like it was like negative one hundred and eighty <laughs> degrees. <laughs> yeah, of course. And we would, I mean, and we're dying. And I oh, and it's funny because. My, the production company said, we got you in a great hotel. It's in the Viagra Triangle. I said, what? What's that? <laughs> but no, he said, uh, you it's know, uh, the yeah. older guy. I said, well, I'm not one of them, Bo. I just want to eat. I want to go to my room. I want to go home. Yeah. Uh, you know, I know you got great steaks at Gibson's and this and that. Yeah. Like, funny, you know. That's a it. beautiful city. That Michigan it. Avenue is gorgeous. I love really it. Gorgeous. Thank you for saying that for yeah. sure. Um, I know you became close to a lot of people on the set. I, I mean, I, I see you right. still in videos today. Like, you guys really, mm-hmm. you know, there's a bonding there. Yes, there is. There, there, there certainly is. I'll tell you, we miss Dominic Kinesi. He moved with yeah. his wife to England. And what you're not know, sad about that because he's a lot of fun. I met him on the set of Gotti in 1996 up wow. in Toronto. Wow. That's where I met him. Uh, but, yeah, uh, and I'll tell you something. You know who's a real buddy, and he's a kid, in my my estimation, is Robert Eiler. Oh. I mean, we watched him <laughs> yeah. grow up. You did. You did. And I was on the phone with him the other day. I mean, you know, constant con- Jamie Lynn, same yeah. thing. Yeah. Um, uh, Tony Sirico, how, but he was my... You know, he was my my mentor. He really was. He was my friend. Yeah, what you he saw, was, what you saw, know. is what you got on screen, off screen. It was Tony. Always, right? always, Dave. <laughs> no, he never minced a word. Yeah, he didn't give a damn what the reaction was going to be. He just said it, and that was it. Done. I love it. <laughs> I so, love it. Not, not yeah, unexpected. Absolutely. You know, as, you know, I had him. Go ahead. No, sorry, go ahead, sir. Go ahead, please. I, I had him in my house. I, you know, I've got a, we've got a big home, Maureen and I, my wife, and we have this huge, huge, huge property. And, you know, and so he came to visit and he said, oh, my God, look at you. You bought a house. It's gorgeous. He said, and I'm looking out onto the park next door. I said, what park? I said, it's my backyard. <laughs> oh, you're right. Get, get the F out of here. What are you? I said, no, Tony, listen to me. Look at me, Bo. Uh, you want me to pull out the survey? It's, but whatever he felt, he said. I love it. It was, it took him 20 minutes later. We had him convinced it's the backyard. That's awesome. That's he was awesome. hysterical. That's uh, awesome. hilarious. That's awesome. But what were you going to say? I'm sorry. No, that's all right. Yeah. Um, you know, every every asking a fair favorite episode is like asking who your favorite child is. But there must have been right. a <laughs> episode that you said, "Wow, this is a fa- I love this episode. There must be one. Yeah. Okay. Um, I'm going to give you the one. I'm going to give you the one that you probably don't think would be, but oh, it's the okay. one where Johnny dies. Oh. And the reason I say that is because I was able to bring Terry Winter, who wrote the episode, mm-hmm. to a medical center, and they advised him on exactly what this character was going to be going through. And, and then they stunned me when they brought in <clears throat> Sidney Pollack. Yes, yes. Okay? Yeah. And I met him the first morning on set. He said, I love the show. How We spoke about the Eyes Wide Shut, some long mm-hmm. scene he did with Tom Cruise. Oh, he said the damn scene was too long, blah, blah, blah. I told Kubrick it wasn't going to work. 
Anyway, I'm sitting I'm going, this is, this is, I can't believe he's here. And I can't believe he's going to work with me. Yeah. And I've met a lot of people, Dave. I mean, seriously. Yeah. Yeah. But I, uh, he said to me, wow, he says, you know, it cost me 18000 to get to the set. I said, what do you think, like a, a bus from China? What do you mean? <laughs> what What's $18,000? He says, I, I bought a new Citation 10 jet. I'm a, I'm a pilot. And I had to hire a co-pilot because in that kind of a plane you have to have. Then I had to pay landing fees at Peterborough and just... I said, you did all this to come and see me. I was. <laughs> <laughs> he could have just taken United. Just, just saying. <laughs> yeah, right. You get on a plane. They're paying for it. What are you worried about? Oh, that's great. That's great. Yeah. But but so many pivotal scenes with you. I mean, you know, I, I, I remember mm-hmm. all, like, you know, taking that leadership role as the boss and, and setting yeah, boundaries yeah. with Tony. The feds right, arresting right, your right. character. And then when you caught uh-huh. your wife, played by the late Denise Barino Quinn, like cheating on yeah, right. yeah, yeah, exactly. Well, I got to tell you something. I mean, going back to you asked me what my favorite. I would say, you know, I think, I think, I probably did about ninety percent of my work with Jim Gandolfini, yeah, uh, sure. and I think I was the only character that Tony Soprano was ever worried about. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, you know, because it was kind of like the USS. <laughs> You know, it was like the Soviet Union and the United States. It was. You know, we could both yeah. hit the button, but then what do we got left? Nothing. You know. Um, but he was, I have to tell you something about Jim. He was the best acting lesson I ever had in my life, and he never knew he was teaching me. Humble guy. Tremendously so. Yeah. Ridiculously so. I mean, so unobtrusive. It, it, I mean, we've been on airplanes, we walked through restaurants, and this guy's just downright shy. But, but I'll tell you something. When he would hear that somebody was having a bit of a problem, I don't mean in the cast, whatever, this guy would write a check, and I know it's a damn show. Sure. That's amazing. And nobody knew who, where the hell the money came from. Yeah. That I can tell you, too. Amazing. Right? Amazing. Amazing. Yeah. I've got uh, Lorraine Bracco coming on the show, and I, right. I, I don't yeah. think that there was ever really, you know, there's a lot of characters that never cross paths. In the show, right? You know, right. but there was one scene I think when she was in a restaurant that it was a coincidence. You were oh, all there. That was it. Effing do, right? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. But well, that was way back. That was season two. Yeah, that's right. That was season two, and I had not slept the night before. I was still green. I was very nervous. I hadn't slept the night before at all. So we're on the set, and every time I have a line coming up, Vinny Pastor would nudge me under the ch- under the table like, "This is your line." <laughs> Oh, yeah. Sorry. I mean, my eyes were red. I was nervous. What am I? You know, I'm, I'm new. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, he was, it was, yeah, but you're right. The only time that uh, we paid, we crossed paths with Lorraine, wonderful. One, when my dad died, we were all in L.A. at the peninsula. I got the phone call from my son. My father passed unexpectedly. She was the one that gathered up the cast to come up to our suite, Maureen and I suite. And stand around, hold hands, and say a prayer. Wow. All right? Wow. So I love yeah. that. I love that. Yeah. Well, I'm going to tell you, yeah. you know, you said you were the new guy and everything, but so many great scenes they gave you, and you carried. I yeah. mean, you you, you oh, did a remarkable, you. remarkable job. Thank you, Dave. Vincent Curatola, what a pleasure sitting down with you and, and talking oh, about this legendary you. series and the friends you made thank along you. the way, right? Oh, without a doubt. Thank you, sir. Thank you, buddy. Take care. Take care. You too. Okay, bye-bye. All right, the celebration of The Sopranos at 25 continues after the news next. And to talk about it all, the great Edie Falco joins us tonight. Edie, how are you? I'm very well, thank you. How are you? I am fabulous. I will tell you that every role 
that you've ever played, from Oz to The Sopranos, Nurse Jackie, movies, whatever it was, you never play the same role and you immerse yourself in these characters and you knock it out of the park every time in every performance. You do. Oh, that's very sweet. I I appreciate you saying that. I know I've heard a lot of people um, talk about that, about like, well, aren't you worried that, you know, you're just going to play mob wives? Um, And then I, you know, what I say to them is that the next time you get offered the role as a mob wife, you say no thank you. That's right. It's really that simple. (laughs) And you hope that eventually someone will come up with something different. Yeah, exactly. That's my story. And each role, I mean, seriously, each role has been so different from the next. I just never, I never see you in a previous character in a current role, you know? Great. I appreciate that. Um, well, I hate to say it, but that is my job. That is your job. I know. And you wear <laughs> Ideally, that well. You know, that's well, thank you. I mean, you're not looking at that and thinking like, oh, God, I remember Nurse Jackie said that or whatever, you know. No. So hopefully that the audience will follow me along. And you've been doing this for a while. Your your mom was an actress and you were on stage, I think, when you were just a little kid. I mean, you really got a taste of this pretty young. Yes, I did. I mean, the, the, what I got mostly was seeing my mom. I would just go with her to rehearsals. I was really rather a shy kid, but I was so taken by this weird thing that these grown-ups were doing after work, you know? Yeah, like, yeah. They all had real jobs, and then, you know, and at night and on the weekends, they would come and put on costumes, and it was, like, sort of preposterous and thrilling all at the yeah. same time. And then, yes, they started putting me in some of the plays, uh, in the community theater, and that's how the whole thing got started. They caught the bug, as they say. Yeah, and you did this through it high school. May not school. be the time to be saying that. No, <laughs> no, not the, the time. Not the but, time for the bug. Sorry. A different bug. Yeah, a different yeah. bug. But I mean, high school, college, you did all that as well. And you know, a lot of people who yeah. want to act, they they say, "Hey, well, I want to move to New York. I want to move to LA." You were really in the center of it all. What was your first big break to you? Like, if you're sitting down, writing it down, mm. telling people the story, what was like the first big break where, where you were like, "Yeah, okay, I'm in this thing." Well, that's the thing. It depends on exactly about what your definition of that is. That um, I, it might be a, a play that I did. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know, a thousand years ago, Sideman, which started as a, a reading in a basement, and then it went to a little theater. It went to another little theater. Went to a workshop. Then it went to Broadway, and it was on Broadway for a very long time. Then it went to London. Sure. So it started as this little teeny thing, like you know, it's like the little train that could, and it. Um, it found its way to, to a huge audience and it uh, won the Tony and it was a very, very big deal. Um, but, and it was also, it, it was theater, which is, you know, where many of us started. And, and uh, sure. to this day, it remains, you know, one of the more, more meaningful things I've ever been able to do. And I thought to me, of course, I don't remember making 50 cents from it, but um, I remember <laughs> thinking at the time, wow, I think maybe I can really do this. Maybe I can really, um, you know, make a life of this. And that was, uh, you know, quite some time ago now, but, um, uh, it was a huge, a huge, uh, chapter for me. Yeah. And I'm sure like every actress or actor trying to make a living, you did other things too in New York oh, always. to make ends meet. Yeah, right. I mean, yeah. That was waitressing for a thousand years. They right. phones at various places, right. all that stuff, all the requisite, you know, horrors. <laughs> Absolutely right, right. All, all, all yeah. necessary, all necessary. Yes, that's right. Yeah, I was talking to Stevie Van Zandt. You know, it's the 25th anniversary of The Sopranos, and he talked to me about how surreal that experience was. That show itself, and it's a show that consistently shows up at the top of the list when talking about the best TV series of all time. 
that's the whole surreal thing. Yes, completely. And and I'm so glad I was really completely ignorant to all of this while we were doing it. Yeah. Because uh, there's no way that wouldn't have messed with me, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I couldn't be that far outside of the experience of what I was doing. Um, and I think that served me well. Um, you know, I, uh, something that I deal with a lot in my life is a tremendous amount of gratitude on so many levels. And the fact that I was able to kind of by happenstance become a part of this show, you know, it just it was another audition in the course of a busy yeah. week. And, Amazing. you know, it could just as easily not have happened. Yeah. And uh, just, you know, how lucky, just how lucky I am. And yet, you know, I've always noticed you really never look back. I think I heard you say once you may not even seen every episode of every series that you've even done throughout the years. You are you are really someone that is always looking ahead in all that you do. Yes, actually, that's quite true. Um, but if I thought there was something to be gained from, from watching an episode, I would. Hmm. Uh, like if I thought, oh, I could learn something from this, or I really wanted to see how this turned, yeah. how this particular scene turned out, I, I will watch an episode for that reason. But I don't watch them just to watch them. You know, it's, it's, um, it's not like a, a TV show where I don't know what's going to happen next. So, right. I, you know, I'd have to have a real... Um, and it's usually, it can be nerve wracking if I'm not in the right headspace. Yeah, no, absolutely. That totally makes sense. Totally makes sense to me. Um, I am so thrilled that you took a few minutes, Edie, to spend some time with us, celebrate this iconic series. And I mean, truly was a pleasure talking to you. Thanks for sharing all this with us. Good luck with the new series. Thank you. Bye. One of the greatest guitarists on the planet is a legendary Stevie Van Zandt. Stevie's career includes being a member of Bruce Springsteen's E Street Band, his band, The Disciples of Soul, and portraying Silvio Dante on The Sopranos. And Stevie joins us tonight. Welcome in, Stevie. Hi, Dave. How you doing? I am, I am so thrilled that you are joining us. And as I said to you just before this call started, I've been a fan for decades, man. I mean, it's an honor to have you on the show. <laughs> my pleasure, my friend. Very cool stuff. You taught yourself how to play. Because, and this is a different time, and I want to go back to your music origins, because obviously you have such a passion for all this. No one taught at the time when you were in school how to play rock and roll. That wasn't the music that, there was nobody to go to to say, teach me rock. That's right. That's right. That's right. So you had to learn some lessons, and, um, I mean, learn some lessons. You had to learn from from, uh, radio and records. Uh, and you had to learn from, you know, we had a lot of TV shows back then, believe it or not. Yeah. Uh, there, there had to be like seven or eight rock and roll TV shows on every week, you know, yeah. for a couple of years there. It was amazing. So, you you know, watch the guy's hands on the guitar when you got a chance to do that. Um, yeah, and you were playing by you ear. Know, I mean, you weren't looking at music. You were playing yeah. by ear. You were figuring it out yourself by just watching the movements of, of some of the bands that you were admiring on the screen. Yeah, yeah. And I was, you know, much more difficult for keyboard players. I'm sure people couldn't really see what the keyboard right. players were doing. But uh, for guitar, it was you know, right there in front of you, you know, or for drummers, of course, uh, bass players. You know, you could kind of, you know, catch where their, what their hands were doing occasionally. But, you know, mostly, you you, you know, you then learn from your, your other guys in the neighborhood who, you know, were just better at research than you were or, or better at, you know, Slowing down the records in those days, and and you know, learning those note by note solos and uh, things like that. You know, um, some new guy would know how to play a certain chord or that chord. You learn new chords, you know, as you went and just you know, do what you could do. You know, because you were passionate enough about it that uh, 
that that was your entire focus, you know. There wasn't there wasn't a whole lot else to do, you know. To no. be honest, you know? no, but I mean, like, but, we weren't distracted, you know. But you were you were watching TV and watching these artists on TV, but you were also probably running down some records over and over on your record player back then. Like, what were some of the bands that you were listening to that you said, "Yeah, I kind of I kind of want to do that." Well, yeah, I mean, it was what well, started started for me with, with just like everybody else in my generation with, with the Beatles on. Uh, Sullivan. On Ed Sullivan, February February ninth, nineteen sixty four. You know, wow. I was one of the seventy two million kids watching that, sure. and uh, you know, pe- people watching that, and and uh, and that was the beginning for me because I wasn't interested. You know, I, I bought a few records before that, you know, but I wasn't really interested in doing it. Um, wasn't really interested in show business uh, at all, and um, it was the idea of a band that attracted you know my you know me um i didn't really um i didn't really you know have any interest in the solo sort of yeah show business thing you know and it was suddenly you know the beatles introduced the idea of a band we didn't have any bands really you know no, no. there weren't that many bands around you know so so you know four or five guys you know you know playing music um, and then writing it and and, uh, and 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 singing it and and you know it was something new and uh, that communicated something completely different to me. Sure, it was suddenly sure. not about me, me, me. It was about us. You know, it was about the the, the group, the band, the, the family, the yeah. bro- the brotherhood. You know, sure. and, and eventually that that communicated community. You know, and. Uh, and that's what attracted me, you know. So, so you learn, and, and then and then you go see bands, you know, locally. Of course, that was probably the biggest way you learn. You know, you learn you know, watching the guys, you know, up close. You know, from just a few feet away, uh, seeing what what their hands yeah. are doing. You know, on on, on the guitar neck, and uh, you learn from that. You, know? you said something very interesting in an interview long ago about playing cover songs and how important that is because. That's how you learn and raise your standards because you're playing the best songs that exist out there, and that kind of really hones your craft. That was that is the most important stage of your development, and, and, and a lot of people have been skipping that stage now for ten, fifteen, twenty years. Um, it's 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 a shame, and you can hear the lack of quality because of it. Uh, you must not skip that stage of your development. You know, the, the bar band stage, as we call it, or the the club stage uh, of, of your development, which is, uh, you know, one of the five crafts of rock and roll I've right? sure. talked about many times. Yeah. Uh, you know, it, it is where you set your standards. You know, how else are you going to have standards if sure. you don't actually absorb these songs and the only way to really absorb them is not by listening to them, but by playing them, and, and over and over and over until, until they get into your system, and then that prepares you for the next stage of your development, which is which is writing. You know, the, the composition stage of your development has to come after you've established your standards, right. or else you're going to write very very mediocre songs. Sure, right, right, yeah. If you want to, you, know, you want to write yeah. great songs then try and fit what you're writing into the set you're playing live of your favorite songs. That's how you raise your standards, and that's how you set your standards, and, and, and that's how you maintain your standards, and that's how you end up, you know, 
seeking greatness rather than, you know, drowning in mediocrity. And then, and you were discovering all this in your teenage years. So here you are doing this. There was really no rock and roll business, so to speak, at that time. How did you, t- how did you like, tell your folks, like, this is, no, this is what I want to do, and did they get it? Yeah, no, they they did not get it. Uh, we were the biggest generation gap of all time. I think this new generation gap that's happening now is competitive and and may in fact prove to be an even bigger generation gap than ours. But but uh, up until up until now, our generation gap was the biggest in history. Um, you know, we're the only we're still the only generation in history that didn't grow up to be our parents. Yeah, you know, right? right uh, yeah. Even even the fifties kids that were, were or teenagers were invented. It's interesting. Uh, even yeah. those kids grew up to be their parents, but the sixties kids didn't. No, a little more rebellious. And, and, and that was the biggest break. You and Bruce were friends like in the mid sixties. You met each other when you were uh, when you were both playing the circuit. That's right. Yeah, I had my band. He had his. There weren't that many bands that got out of the garage. Every, everybody had a band in the garage the day after the Beatles played this variety show itself, and I, I mentioned before, you know, like I've often said, February 8th, 1964, there was not one band in America. February 10th, the day after this show, everybody had a band in the garage. Uh, but only a few of them got out of the garage, and, uh, you know, maybe there was a dozen bands in our area, and uh, I had one, and Bruce had one, so... In those days, if you were in a band, you were friends. Right. You know? Yeah, yeah. And uh, simple as that, because there's just so few of us. And Bruce was the only other guy I, I met in my life who was completely dedicated to it as I was, who who didn't really have any interest in anything else. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Uh, you, you got, know, you got each other. It was just like, yeah, yeah. You know, for a lot of people, it was a hobby. It was, you know... It was fun on the weekend, you know. But for us, it was a lifestyle right away. We we knew that this was this was you know our destiny and our and our our you know we we were just misfits, you know, freaks, outcasts, and uh, did not fit into society and you know couldn't couldn't see a way forward really for either either one of us. You know, where, where we were going to end up uh, until rock and roll came along and just kind of said, okay. You know, there's a there's an option that I can understand. You know, that's just something I can relate to because, you know, well, we weren't going into sports. We weren't, we weren't, you know, we weren't going into the military. We weren't going into yeah. our father's business. Right. You know, we weren't right. going to college. You know, you know, it, it was just like, you know, what do you do? Well, it and, speaks to your uh, friendship. You guys, you guys have been friends for over fifty years. I mean, it obviously speaks to your love for the music and and for each other too. And and I don't know if people know this, but. When they call Bruce the boss, you named him the boss. You did. Well, you know, because I was a boss in my world and a very, very respected one. So when I started calling somebody else the boss, people really paid attention to that. Because, you know, they're like, wait a minute, wait a minute. You know, because, you know, I was equally popular, if you will, in my, you know, local area, you know, uh, popular. So it was a surprise when I joined his band. You know, in order to you know contribute to to his success, um, it was uh, it was a surprise for most people, and so you know it was a bigger surprise when suddenly I said, you know, he is the boss. I'm 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 I'm, I'm declaring him the boss, and so when my <laughs> boss 
call yeah. somebody else the boss. You know, people pay attention. People take notice. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. You um, you arranged the horns on 10th Avenue freeze out in '75, which kind of made you a permanent spot uh, on, on the E Street Band uh, dais, and shortly thereafter. But for knowing each other for ten years, this must have been a tremendous moment of, of bonding for you guys. Well, yeah, we had, we had been in, we had been in each other's bands, you know, before that, you know. Right. Um, so it was uh, the final, you know, the final sort of uh, configuration, you know. Okay, this this is the one that has now he he got he managed to get a record deal, you know, he managed to get into the business, you know, uh, which was a real mystery, you know. How do we get into the business? You know, how do we get into the music business? Um, we had been in music locally for a long time, but how do how do we break into the business? Uh, was a was a mystery and a miracle, and, and he achieved it. And yeah. so, uh, you know, suddenly, uh, yeah, we were now going to go public, and uh, you know, all those years of, of development and playing live locally really paid off. Because uh, we were very highly developed for a new band. I'm an avid, avid fan of The Sopranos. I, I, I think that is the best drama that has ever aired on, on television. I mean, the ensemble, the cast, the writing, everything was spectacular. But you weren't an actor. Uh, but the create, uh, creator of the show, David Chase, he kind of relentlessly pursued you to audition for this. Yeah, it's just part of David's, you know rebelliousness really you know he, he he had been in tv a long time yeah. and he just kind of had you know it's hard to explain but he was he was he was no longer interested in following the rules okay let's just put it that way yeah. you know he had been a good soldier for so long that he was ready to make the move into movies and he kind of saw this as a movie you know he kind of saw the pilot you know, yeah. as a, as a, like half a half a movie, right. Um, right. he was half hoping that HBO would turn it down. Actually, uh, <laughs> really? and so so he could, yeah, yeah, wow. so he could like add a few scenes and make it into a movie and be done. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. So so he's, he's so he's breaking every single rule. You know, too many characters. Uh, the camera never moves. Uh, too many subplots. A uh, very complicated uh, leading man, um, you know, and part of that rebelliousness was was, was having me be in it. Yeah, <laughs> you know, yeah, I like that. Who's never acted before? But I got know? that later. I so, got that yeah. rebelliousness later. That that's one of the reasons he brought you into it. He's, he wanted to shake it up. He didn't want the standard. Uh, you know, he wanted to have yeah. some fun with it and do something different. And your the addition of you to the cast was fantastic. Did you first audition for the role of Tony? Yeah, I did. Uh, he he brought me down to play Tony, and uh, and um, wow. he, it was very close. It was very close to 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 actually doing that. And then Jimmy came along, and that was you know quite obvious that he should be Tony. But um, yeah, I went down. I went down at first as Tony, and uh, and then I, I I said to David, I said, listen, you know, I'm starting to feel guilty about you know taking an actor's job here. You know, these guys work their whole lives, they go to class, they do off-Broadway, you know, and suddenly some rock and roll guitar players coming along, you know, taking one of their jobs. I said, yeah. So he said, okay, well, in that case, I'll, I'll write you in a new part that, 
this. So you're not you're not taking anybody's jobs, you know. Interesting. Interesting. And so that's how it ended up. Uh, yeah, so it ended up as, as so, you know. Well, you played the character and the friendship uh, that the character had between Tony and Silvio is kind of the same way the relationship is between you and Bruce. I kind of looked at it in that way. Yeah, yeah. In the end, that that was the way to go. You know, I felt that was my, I was most comfortable. The writers were most comfortable. I think David Chase was most comfortable with that. You know, uh, they knew that I could bring something to that part that was from real life, uh, and um, it was. It was. I definitely did use my relationship with Bruce and that dynamic between best friends when one of them is their most, you know, their most loyal soldier. Um, mm-hmm. You know, you got to be the one sometimes to bring the boss to bad news. You know? Sure. And uh, he's going to you know, yell and scream at you, and but your friendship is strong enough to survive it. And uh, it's part of the obligation and responsibility of being that best friend, or in this case, the underboss, you know, the, the consigliere, sure. you know, where, where you, you know, you're expected to give advice. Uh, that's, the, that's the gig, you know, and sometimes that advice. Uh, Good or bad. Yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah. Sometimes I mean, it's you tough. Know, may not, may not, may not, may not like what he's hearing. Right, <laughs> you know, right, so, right. Yeah. Uh, you know, um, you know. So, so yeah. I, 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 I use that, uh, and it was very, it was very effective because, uh, um, you know, uh, David Chase and the other writers uh, uh, reinforced that idea, and, yeah. and so it was very easy for me to understand those dynamics. As an actor, I was it was a new craft I was learning, so I had I had I had to watch those first you know those first couple of seasons to make sure I was <laughs> understanding the craft yeah, and, and, sure. and improving it and you know and getting and getting you know improving all the time, uh, which I you know which I was quite happy about you know you know like I've always said it's the greatest you know acting school in the world and sure. uh, and as I've said many times you know you do a you do a scene with Jimmy Gandolfini and you walk away a better actor. Uh, no doubt about it. I well, mean, we talked you know. about so much here tonight, and, and I want to, to let people know, again, if you want to learn more about this Teach Rock project, the standards-aligned arts integration curriculum that uses the history of popular music and culture to help teachers engage students, you want to visit teachrock.org. You can catch Little Stevens Underground Garage, Stevie's radio shows on Sirius uh, Channel 21 and syndicated uh, throughout the country. And for more on that, visit undergroundgarage.com. And for more on Little Steven, you can visit littlesteven.com. Stevie Van Zandt, thanks for joining us again, and be well, my friend. Cool, Dave. Thanks. 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 Same to you. Thanks, Stevie. All right, much more ahead on 720 WGN. One of the stars of The Sopranos was Stephen Chirippa, who played Bobby Baclieri, and he also plays DEA investigator Detective Anthony Abitamarco on CBS's Blue Bloods. And Steve is joining us tonight. Good evening, Steve. Hey, Dave. How are you, buddy? Getting Baclieri and Abitamarco out was a little bit of a challenge. <laughs> Well, you did good. You did good. I, I did all right. I did all right. They're I not easy. Right. They're not easy names. They no. really aren't easy names. No, they aren't. They aren't. <laughs> they aren't. But you know, I'm looking at this. You know, I watch. I I jump into the Sopranos like every six months. I'll pull it up on Netflix. I'll throw in the DVDs. Yeah, you know, it's it's amazing because you know it's so out there all the time. You know, it's either in the paper, or in the magazine, it's on TV. It's always mentioned in articles. So. It really is, uh, really is something, and not a day goes by usually where someone doesn't mention something about the show, whether it be the ending or 
asking about someone or you know recognizing and not one day goes by so uh you know it's been a great thing it's was a moment in time dave that will never happen no. again you no. know it was uh, a bunch of us uh david chase put together uh, it was a, a hit that everyone watched i mean you couldn't ask it, it's it's tough to get on any show but to get on that show was like hitting the lottery for Abs- sure absolutely uh, uh you know so uh it, it's been great you know we I still keep in touch with a lot of the uh, cast members and uh we're still really good friends and that's what i mean by a moment in time you know most of the time you work on a show you go in everyone's polite you work together and then you go home at the end of the day this was the Sopranos was more. We traveled together. We uh, had weddings and babies born and divorces. And, you know, we were uh, truly a family. And, you know, we traveled together quite a bit. We spent a lot of time together. You know, doesn't doesn't usually happen that way. No, it doesn't. But, you know, you got to look at this show and say, you know, every list that's ever been done on, on the best TV dramas, best television shows ever, TV drama or comedy, Sopranos is like at the top of the list. Every list. Well, listen, it it holds up today. It was funny. It was smart. Uh, I would assume 50 years from now, the way, uh, you know, shows are on the air, I would assume the Sopranos would be on the air. You know, it is uh, much more than a mob show. You know, some people got that wrong. You know, uh, oh, it's just another mob show killing and cursing and sex. And it wasn't that at all. You know, it was so much more. So such a smart show, you know. It was. And, you know, I want to talk a little bit about you. You know, you began in the business, uh, you know, uh, understanding your bio uh, as an entertainment director at the Riviera Hotel, which opened back in 52, long before you were around. Ninth hotel ever built on the Strip. The first high rise ever in, in Vegas. How did you get into that business? Oh, well, let's see. I moved to Vegas from Brooklyn. I'm from Brooklyn, New York. I graduated college. A friend of mine moved out there. I had nothing going on. I got in the car, went to Vegas. Uh, I bounced. I, I delivered pizza. I was a bouncer at Paul Anker's club, uh, then bouncer uh, some nightclubs. And then I got a job at the Riviera uh, at the uh, comedy club, you know, seating people I wore at Tux, you know, taking tips. And uh, I was got into the entertainment business, uh, you know, that I was running three showrooms and uh, I, uh, I started acting then. Some of the comics put me in little sketches and little things and got the acting bug. So it was a hobby and pursuing it. I got a promotion. It was either that or they were going to fire me. <laughs> so they promoted me the American way you fail upwards. And, uh, and then I became the entertainment director where I was booking acts. So I booked all the acts. I booked every big comic and, uh, uh, you know, the Beach Boys and Bobby Vinton and, you know, you know, some, so you either got them on the way up or on the way down. The Riv at that time was kind of, you know, not a top tier hotel, but it was a terrific experience and a great job. And, uh, that's how I got into it. And I just started uh, dabbling and uh, going on auditions in LA. And then when something came to town in Vegas, uh, Fear and Loathing, Chicago Hope, you know, I would audition, get a couple lines, a couple lines here, a couple lines there. And then I went back to New York for a wedding. 
and I auditioned for The Sopranos, and that was it. Well, you know, and I was going to say, while you were at the casino, I want to go back a little bit. The movie casino was, well, was still one of my favorites to this day, was filming at your hotel. And, you know, yeah, you know, it, it, it filmed at the hotel. I, I got two lines. That's where I got my SAG card. I was in the scene. You could barely see me or hear me if you put it on slow motion. And uh, you hear me yell, Joey, look out, look out. I was with uh, in the scene with Pesci when he stabbed the guy with the pen. Yeah, right. Uh, yeah. You know, you could barely see me, but it was a great experience. It was De Niro there who, if you say hello to him, he's stuck for an answer. But Joe Pesci's a wonderful guy, and uh, it's Frank Vincent, and, uh, you know, it, we worked for 16 hours, and uh, that's uh, that was that was fun. No, De-, De Niro was uh, eventually in the movie. De Niro was the entertainment director of the hotel. So essentially, he was playing you. He was playing you <laughs> exactly. in this movie. Exactly. <laughs> there you go. There you go. But uh, but that was fun. You know, I barely was in it. But, uh, you know, then I got a little here, a little there. You know, I, I did a movie in Toronto, and I worked with some real actors. And that's kind of was uh, the epiphany where, you know, I told my wife, uh, I think it was 3 in the morning. It's 12 o'clock Vegas time. I was in Toronto shooting, and I, and I said, I think I can do this. I think I could really do it because I was always dabbling, you know. Yeah, and, I, yeah. uh, and, you know, I said to myself, can I do this? Or if I pursue this more, do I get more? Or is this is all it's going to be? Yeah. You know, that's kind of was the, the question. Was it just two lines, three lines as a hobby? Uh, and then, you know, I took the plunge, you know, I mean, I had two kids, uh, I was 40, 41 years old and I, uh, moved to New York and I took shots. Luckily it worked out. Yeah. That that's awesome. Now, how did you get the call for the Sopranos? Was it during the first season that they, they uh, it was the second season. It was 1999. Uh, yeah. a friend of mine had gotten married. Uh, a friend of mine was uh, a writer for Saturday Night Live. He was a comic. He was at my wedding ten years before, and I said, "If I uh, if I ever get married, uh, I mean, if you get married, I promise I'll be there." So he was getting married in New York, and my wife couldn't make it, and I I went out on my own. I, I flew to New York. I was in a hotel. I it was an afterthought. I had an agent looking out for me. I wasn't even signed with him, and I said, "Hey, see if you could get me to read for that uh, Soprano show," which I really didn't even see. I didn't really know what it was, and uh, I went in, I read for the role of an FBI agent. She said, I don't see you as that. Read this. We have someone in mind, and I read the part of Bacalar, cold, and she asked me, what's this on my resume? And uh, a week later, they called me back, which I wasn't going to go back. I said, I'm going to blow the money. i got to put myself up, (laughs) find myself out. Yeah. And uh, my wife said go. So uh, for the first year, I did six episodes. It cost me uh, $24,000 to make $22,000. Oh, jeez. Uh, I got to think I, about I, that. Yeah. You know, luckily, I, I, uh, you know, I was okay money-wise. And It was an investment. Yeah, I took a shot, and my boss at the time, you know, uh, gave me the time off. I had a lot of vacation, uh, like six weeks, and so, uh, you know, it worked out. And the the next year, they made me a series regular, and I moved my family back to New York. So, you know, right place, right time. If this guy don't get married, we're probably not talking, Dave, (laughs) you know? Right, exactly. I know, that's so awesome. The thing is, he just got divorced, so. Oh, no, oh, no, oh, no. Well, you know, if he doesn't get married, I mean, and, and, you know, I was talking. It's a lot of fates, uh, a lot of fates. I was talking to my agent this morning, you know, uh, about stuff, and it really is, 
it really is the right place, the right time. You know, uh, you know, just like anything else, just like in sports, just like sure. in a lot of things. You know, you think about it. You know, if this guy didn't leave, I wouldn't have got this job. And if this guy didn't put a good word in for me, or if I didn't bump into this guy, it's kind of amazing how things happen. Love you know? hearing that. Yeah, love hearing that. And this cast, you know, what was the ultimate ensemble? I mean, talk about James Gandolfini, Di Falco, Tony Sirico, Stephen Van Zandt. The list is endless. It must have been, you know, once you got into the rhythm of that show and actually got to see some of the first season and as you started progressing through the seasons, it must have been a little surreal to be on that set. Well, it very much was, especially at the beginning. I mean, uh, I had never worked in New York, you know. I was, even though I was from there, I wasn't acting. My stuff, the stuff I did, you know, it wasn't a ton. It was enough to know not to, you know, bump into the furniture. You know, I knew I knew all these little crappy things that I had done. I learned, uh, you know, how to hit your mark and how to do this. And, you know, I knew what I was doing to a degree. Uh my first scene was with uh, Tony Soprano and four of the guys. Right. Pretty intimidating. I didn't know anyone. I was staying in a hotel in New Jersey uh, on my own. Had to get there on my own. Uh, uh, went to the set. Didn't know a soul. And uh, we did the scene. And, and it was, I got to tell you, after the first scene, it was a scene where Tony Soprano was yelling at Bobby in the pork store, threatening him. Oh, yeah, we we, we played it on the way into the interview. Oh, yeah, yeah oh, that was my first scene. Yeah, And yeah. I have to tell you uh, that once it was over and it went well, boom, I was part of the part of the group. Isn't that you something? know, it was like, you know, okay, we did this scene. There's all these guys, me and these stars of this show, and the show's exploding, and it was... You know, I think July now of uh, they just got nominated for 16 Emmys, <laughs> first cable series ever. Yeah. And the show was starting to really roll along. And, you know, once I finished that scene, I was part of the club. And then later that night, I shot a scene with Uncle Junior and Tony Soprano. And uh, uh, Jim said, let's go in my trailer and run lines. And it was the three of us. And I honestly kind of took a step back and said, how the hell did I get here? <laughs> That's awesome. I mean, really, I mean, I look, I'm in the trailer with these two guys. Yeah. I mean, you know, Johnny Ola, Jim Gandolfini, two terrific actors. Yeah. And how the hell did I get here? I yeah. mean, that was surreal to me. Yeah. And at that, it was a moment uh, late at night and, uh, you know, and I, you know, I just, they were signing me up for one episode and, uh, and I remember Jim uh, saying, "Oh, I'll see you again," you know, blah blah blah, and uh, you know, and pretty, you that, that was amazing, you know. Oh, nice to be working. Sometimes back. even now, sometimes even now, I'm acting, and I, you know, sometimes you take it for granted after a while, and it's the grind of it, and waiting around, and then and then you go, man, you know, you know how lucky I am to be able to do this. Yeah. I mean, really, I, you know how lucky I am to be able to to to. to say these lines and be on a great show, which I'm on again, you know, Blue Bloods, and to, to work with these actors. I mean, sometimes you don't, uh, to, you know, you don't stop and smell the roses. You know, I try to do that as much as possible because it's a tough road, you know, and uh, just like a ball player, I would hope, you know, uh, you know, Anthony Rizzo from the Cubs, you know, goes, wow, yeah. isn't this fantastic that I get to come out here to yeah. Wrigley Field, 
play ball, you know, totally. I, and I assume a lot of guys do. I, I, I sure hope so, you know. Well, and you got to do it in the city you grew up in. See, that's even more. No, it was great. Yeah. I mean, the thing exploded, you know. I mean, yeah. and listen, there was a time, uh, you know, six, seven, eight of us where we went out at night after we were working. We would go to dinner and go out, uh, hit a few spots, and it was like playing for the Yankees, man. Yeah. I mean, places yeah. would stop. Yeah. People would give you a standing ovation. I mean, sure. uh, restaurants uh, stunned that it uh, looked yeah, six of the guys, you know. You know, we actually hung together and ran around yeah, together, and, cool. and our wives were friends and vacationed together. And, uh, you know, it's, it doesn't come along that often. I mean, uh, it's, a tough, it's a tough business. Most businesses are. It's a tough business, you know. And I, and I, and, uh, I was very lucky to be a part of it. Like I said, a moment in time, uh, very, very lucky. And I'm, I'm very uh, aware of that. And, and the material was great. And the writing was great. And oh, absolutely. David Chase is an absolute genius. And, and uh, you know, you would get the scripts. I, I was a fan of the show. I watched it on Sunday nights like everyone else. At some point, did you notice when David was writing for you and stuff that, that they got to know you personally and as an actor and they were truly just writing for you? Sure, you know, no one ever said a word to me. No one ever said Bacalar is this guy. Nobody ever said anything, not yeah. once. Yeah. Listen, this is the guy, this is who he is, yeah. and he's this, he's that, he's this. No one said a word to me. So I made my own choices, you know, I made yeah. my own choices. I was green as an actor. I got an acting coach in New York. I worked one on one. I worked very, very hard, you know, I almost did it in reverse. Yes, I had, uh, uh, t- you know, worked with a coach in Vegas when I was starting, but now I really kicked it in gear, and I would, you know, for, for the eight years on The Sopranos, I worked with a guy in the East Village. I would go to his apartment a lot of times before I shot the scene, then went to the studio and uh, and shot the scene as is, just like we just rehearsed wow. it. You wow. know, so I worked a little bit in reverse. I was feeling my way and learning as I went along, working, obviously, with great actors. I mean, uh, the Lake House, I'm working with three Emmy Award uh, nominees. You're sitting there, you're going, geez, this is, how the hell am I, what am I doing here? You know? <laughs> That's, awesome. That's uh, awesome. So there was a lot of that, you know, uh, not intimidated, you know, uh, not intimidated at all, just, you know, matter of fact, this is what it is. You know, this is how I felt. And, uh, you know, the material kind of, uh, obviously, when you're working with good material, it's easier to be a good actor, you know? Sure. Absolutely. Absolutely. You know, just like Blue Bloods, you know, uh, uh, the, the the writing there is so good. It's I've worked on shows that aren't great, you know what I mean? <laughs> you know, yeah. I know how well, hard that is. And now you're on the well, other yeah, side yeah. of the badge a little bit. You're playing a detective, so that's got to be fun because that's what well, you they wanted to do. Say that, yeah. They say there's a fine line yeah. between a, a mob guy and a cop, isn't there? Yeah, that's true. Uh, <laughs> yeah, right. You know, but yeah, no, no, this is great because obviously, you know, you, you get typecast and you're put in a box and they just want to see you play the same. No, you've mob done a lot of different stuff. You've done a yeah, lot I've of Yeah, I've tried not stuff. to, yeah. I've really tried to stay away from that because yeah. I don't think it could be done much better than The Sopranos. Agree with you. I really don't. I don't think you could be uh, a mob movie, a mob show. Obviously, Goodfellas, Godfather, Casino, great movies, but. 
a lot of bad mob movies, you know, sure. a lot of bad mob yeah, movies, you know. Hey, I'm going to break your head. I'm going to kill you. How many times can we say that? Can we do that? So when Blue Bloods came along, I was extremely happy uh, to play in New York, you know, kind of disheveled, out of shape detective who was very smart and very loyal. And, and uh, the writing on the show is, is fantastic. And... Uh, that's well the top dramas again. I mean, I you're, really on, like. you're on one of the top dramas again. I mean, seriously, yeah. 14 million people are watching. Yeah. It's a great, yeah. great, great show. Uh, great actors, and, and once again, shooting on the streets of New York. So, you know, very good cool. Stuff. Very, very cool. Happy to be there. You know, and to tell you, next time you're in Chicago, let's do this in studio. We'd love to see you. I'd love to. You know, uh, my favorite Italian restaurant, maybe anywhere, Quartino. Oh yeah, great. Great restaurant. Excellent. Great, great, great. Thank you, my Love friend. Love it there. Appreciate okay, it. Okay, pal. All we'll right, take care you. of yourself. All right, bye-bye. Bye.